I want to warn this service in particular. I have recently um, stopped drinking coffee on Sundays, and I've shifted to energy drinks. <laughs> so if something crazy happens, just please come back next Sunday because I just drank one right before energy drinks, energy drinks, energy drinks, and um, feeling pretty good. So... Are you, are you glad you came to church? I wanted to get that out because we, hopefully we'll make it. To the, I'll get you all out of here by four. <clears throat> I, uh, I wanted to start with a confession today. And um, confessions always make everybody feel more comfortable, especially when the guy preaching confesses because everybody's like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm not as messed up as that guy, so I'm okay. Um, I, but this is kind of a, this is something that's like I'm 48. And this is something I've never really dealt with in my life. So I'm just now getting to the point. I used to be the guy that said you can't listen to Christmas music or do anything Christmas until after Thanksgiving because you got to respect the pilgrims. I mean, uh, I mean, they did just get no respect at all. And I used to say it's not Christmas until we eat turkey and the Detroit Lions lose. That, that's when you know it's officially Christmas, right? But... About two years ago, in fact, two years ago today, I was in Great Britain. I was in, like, the U.K., and um, just so you know, Thanksgiving's not a big deal over there because it kind of started the whole rebellion revolution thing. They're still a little bitter about that, but that's fine. That's fine. Um, and it just felt like Christmas two years ago. It really did. Like, we would go into places and restaurants and pubs, and it just, I mean, it just felt like Christmas. So I came back, and my mind started shifting, but I didn't want to talk about it because I've always been the no Christmas music until after Thanksgiving. But last year, I didn't tell anybody this. Nobody knew this about me. But I started slipping off in November and listening to some Christmas music. And this year, I'm embracing it. I'm all in. I love, I love Christmas. I, I love Chris, like Mariah Carey's Christmas album. I mean, I like, I mean. She ain't bad to look at either. I'm just saying. She ain't not bad. But I love Mariah Carey, um, Christmas. I love the classics, like the old classics, like, like the newer stuff. I, 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 I'm more of a classic guy. Um, but probably most people here do and have a favorite Christmas song. Are you've already decorated for Christmas? Like, I'm already, my tree's already up. My tree's already up. <laughs> here's, the, here's the bad part. I never took it down last year. I never took it down. People are like, are you? I'm like, no, I plan ahead. I plan ahead. So, so I'm just kind of curious, how many have a favorite Christmas song? Do you have a favorite Christmas song? Okay, half the people, that's fine. Um, what's your favorite Christmas song? All I Want for Christmas, Mariah Carey. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I, I, okay, anybody over here, favorite Christmas song? Anybody? Anybody? Oh, Holy Night. Yes. Yes, that's one of my, that's like my favorite. Yeah, I had to think about it for a second. Anybody back here, favorite Christmas song? White Christmas, we get one of those in the South every 50 years and people freak out, but that's fine. Anybody over here, favorite Christmas song? Yes, sir. Little Drummer Boy, I don't understand that song, but it's good. The pa-rum-pa-pum-pum thing, yeah, okay, that's good. Uh, like most people in this room, we could kind of share a favorite Christmas song or Christmas carol. Let me tell you what is not my favorite Christmas song. It's not my favorite Christmas song. Um, and I'm not trying to be funny. It's just not. I don't like it at all. It's, um, it's the song, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Because for some people, it's not. Like... This is November 17th, and I'll always remember November 17th because this is the day that my mother passed away in 1982. And so Thanksgiving that year 
absolutely sucked. And so did Christmas. And, and for some people here today, and some people watching online, this, type of, this time of year reminds us of how lonely we are in the world or how alone that we feel, right? I, th- this time of year, this time of year, um, some people, it's, it's awesome because you got the family together and you get the in-laws and the outlaws and you kind of do your little family traditions and everything's awesome. And you got your drunk uncle that shows up so you know you're going to have somebody to laugh at the whole time. I mean, everything's great. But for other people, the depression during the Christmas season increases. And then I've, I've read some studies um, and they're conflicting. Some people say they do. Some people say they don't, that the suicide rates increase over Christmas time. But at the end of the day, when 45, over 45,000 Americans are taking their lives every single year, I think that's 45,000 too many. And so I want to talk today like very raw and very, transpa- very transparent about depression and, and suicide. Because there's subjects that everybody in this room has been affected by in one way or another, but for some reason, we don't want to talk about it. I've got a buddy um, who leads a, a, an addict group. He said a couple years ago, he got asked one of the toughest questions he's ever been asked. He said a guy came up to him and he said, here's my problem. He said, I can't beat this addiction. My wife has left me. My kids won't have anything to do with me. I'm so in debt, I'll never get out. I am a Christian. Jesus does live in me. So why shouldn't I just take my own life and go to heaven? That's a great question. Like like my friend was kind of taken back. Because in the church world, this is what we say about suicide. Don't do it, and if you do it, you go to hell. It's not true. There are people in this room that you've had a friend or a family member and they, they experienced death by suicide, De- suicide does not send someone to hell. Not knowing Jesus is the reason. It's the difference between heaven and hell. So if you've been told that, I, I don't care who told they lied to you. They lied to you. Now, so I know what some of you are thinking. Oh my gosh, don't say that because more people will be tempted to take their life. And, 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 and I know I've been in that, that. Listen, listen, today I'm talking to you about depression and suicide, not as somebody that Googled it so I could find out more information. I'm not talking to you about it as somebody who read a book about it or listened to a podcast. I want you to listen to me. I've had the note written and the gun in my hand. So when I tell you that God is good, and if he can bring me through it, he can bring you through it as well. And at the end of the day, I know what it's like to have no hope, but I also know that your situation isn't hopeless. So stay with me for the next few moments as I kind of build a case for this from the scriptures, and at the end, I'll wrap it all up. Um, in, In the Old Testament... There's a guy that we know named Elijah. Now, if you had a playoff system in the Old Testament for godliest person in the Old Testament, you, Elijah would be in the top four. I mean, he's, he's legitimately one of the godliest people that I know. His connection with God was absolutely amazing, which is crazy because in the world today, we're told if you have depression or you have any form of suicidal thoughts, 
then it's because you don't have a connection with Jesus or you don't love Jesus or if you just love Jesus enough more or you read your Bible more or you prayed more, then everything would be okay. But then we got Elijah and they talk about a connection with God. We first meet him in 1 Kings 16, 17. But one of the things that we don't see, we're, we're not going to see today, but you just got to take my word for it, is over two or three years, there was pressure building in Elijah's life. Like these things kept happening to him. That pressure kept building and building and building. There's many people here today like that, that over the past maybe few weeks, months, or even years, pressure just builds. And the thing about pressure is if we don't have a release for pressure, it just continues to press and press and press. And eventually, for some people, it just gets to be too much. So Elijah's dealing with all this pressure, but on the flip side, he sees some really awesome stuff happen. Like, talk about a connection with God. Elijah called down fire from heaven. Now, I don't know if you know anybody that can do that, but I've never personally pulled that off. I would have loved to have done that a couple times. Like last time I was in traffic in Atlanta, <laughs> Spaghetti Junction, gone, right? Last time I was in Publix with Coupon Lady, not her, just her coupons. Um, I, don't, don't judge me. I, I'm just saying, he, he prayed fire from heaven. And then, and then, and then he prayed rain to fall from heaven. It hadn't rained in three and a half years. And so there was a major revival and 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah get killed and everybody comes back to the Lord. And it's this amazing event. You would think that somebody like that was like riding on top of the world. But then something happened. It's kind of crazy. When Ahab, Ahab was the king at the time. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel, that was his wife. She was wicked. That's why nobody here is probably named Jezebel. And if you are... I mean, sorry about that. We'll get that name changed. Nobody name, don't name your kids Jezebel. Jezebel, everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. Watch this. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. A lot of killing in verse 2 right there. Now you would think that Elijah, after what he had just seen God do, fire from heaven, rain from heaven, drought taken care of, you would think that Elijah would have been, would have been like, oh, oh, you want some? You want some, Jezebel? Come on over here, Cletus. Come on over here. You're going to walk over. You're going to limp back. <laughs> some of y'all seen that movie. You know, it's great. You had it, it's fine. You would think that he wouldn't be bothered by this. But don't miss this. It's the pressure. You ever seen somebody do something crazy and you're like, what's the, what's the one thing that caused them to snap? It's not the one thing. It's the 10,000 things that we don't talk about because we're told if we talk about it, then we're weird because Christians don't have pressure in their life. <laughs> Verse 3, Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah. No, don't miss this. Don't miss this. And left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. Let me pause. One of the worst things we can do when we're wrestling with depression and suicidal thoughts is isolate ourselves. Isolation equals destruction every time. And... 
I'm talking from experience. You know why? My, my go-to is isolation. That's my go-to. I don't need anybody I'm good. I don't need anybody I'm good. Because you know, you know what? When you hang out with people and you got a problem, people are crazy. Do you know any crazy people? Do you know any crazy people? If you don't know any crazy people, guess, guess what everybody thinks about you? You're crazy, right? Like, 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 and what happens is when you get around certain people, have you ever been around somebody, they try to fix you? Like, if I'm wrestling with something, I know what, I just want to talk. Just let me talk. Has anybody got a friend in here you can just vent to? You can just vent. Isn't it the greatest thing in the world? You, my, 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 my friend is Chance, um, my dog. Um, but I can just vent. You can just kind of let it go. That's what you need. But if, if, you, if you hang out with people that try to fix you all the time, this is what I've discovered about people that try to fix you. If you don't let them fix you, they'll eventually dish you. And they'll talk smack about you. And they'll say, well, they didn't do this and they didn't do this. And all the while, you just wanted somebody to listen to you. Or, or the reason we don't tell people our problems is because have you ever met the one-upper? No matter what happened to you, it's not as bad as what's going on in their life. My dog died. My dog and my cat died. My car blew up. My house blew up. I broke my leg. I broke my body. Like, like nothing you say is as bad as what is going on in their life. And so the easiest thing to do is isolate. And here's why. In the Christian world, we've been told people that love Jesus don't deal with depression People that love Jesus don't deal with anxiety. This is my favorite. This is my favorite. It drives me. When I say favorite, I'm, I'm being facetious. It drives me crazy. Oh, people that are depressed, they just choose to be that way. Who the hell would choose that? Seriously. As somebody who's battled with that, so you, you think, what? Like, this is, this is legit. And it happens to godly people. Elijah's, Elijah's by himself, and then this is, watch this prayer. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. Now watch the honesty here. Watch this, watch this. I have had enough, Lord. You ever prayed that prayer? See, we're told not to pray that prayer. We're told, don't, don't, don't be honest with God. Be fake. God, I, I just, I just want to thank you for these trials I'm going through. Yeah, I, I know maybe that's what I should say. I'm just not that godly. Have you, ever, have you ever prayed going, God, I've had enough? See, healing does not take place until we're willing to be honest. It's true physically. If you break your foot and you just drag your busted up foot around for the rest of your life, what's wrong? Nothing's wrong with me. It's the same spiritually until we're willing to admit that there's an issue we cannot get fixed. We cannot get healed. And Elijah prays to God and said, I've had enough. And then what does he say? Take my life. Now, he's trying to commit suicide. Some of you are like, ah, oh, that's a stretch. Ah, uh, no, it's not. When you go to the middle of the desert in the Middle East 3,000 years ago with no food, no water, and no friends, you are trying to kill yourself. He gets out there and he asks God to speed up the process. Take up my life, take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. Now, you would think that God would be like, really, Elijah, really? After all I've done for you? I mean, the fire from heaven, the water, that wasn't enough. I mean, I've always taken care of you. You would think that God would get angry, but you know what? God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding 
and love. And this is what the Bible says. Then he lay down and slept under a broom tree, but as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot some bread. Do you love that bread? Bread, Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. So he's all through the scriptures. It's just awesome. You just see him. Bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. Jesus said, I'm the living water. I love that too. And he ate and he drank and lay down again in this process. But don't continue, but don't miss this. When Elijah was at his lowest, God did not give him a lecture. God showed him love. And it changed the trajectory of his life. Because God took him from there on a 40-day journey to a place where God met him and told him, this is what you're going to need to do. You're going to need to connect with this guy named Elisha. And Elijah and Elisha connected to have one of the most powerful ministries in the Old Testament ever. God healed him through a relationship with God and a relationship with others. And healing does not take place in our lives until we're willing to admit the truth to God and admit the truth to others. Now, that's scary in a Christian culture because if you admit you're not okay, then you get pushed out or pushed to the side. Not here. I would rather know the truth then to have you feel like you can't admit the truth and wind up doing something to yourself that hurts you and hurts others. It, it's, not just, it's not just Elijah, though. It happened another time. Like, Elijah's, Elijah's desire for suicide and depression had to deal with the pressure in his life. Sometimes it has to deal with the fact that we run from God, and all of us have probably ran from God at some point in our lives. There's, some, there's a very famous prophet in the Old Testament and his name is Jonah. And even if you don't have a Bible background, you probably heard the story about how Jonah ran from God. He's kind of famous for running from God. If you're going to be famous for something, I wish I was famous for something else, but Jonah's famous for running from God. And God told him to go to Nineveh and preach, and he was like, nah, they're Gentiles. I'm Jewish. I don't want to see Gentiles become Christians and so whatever. So he runs from God, and he does the dumbest thing in the world because when we run from God, we do dumb things. He got on a boat and went out to the middle of the water. Now, that's stupid. You know, like, why would you get on a boat and go to the middle of the water if you're running from God? And Jonah's out there safe going, I'm on a boat. And like, he's kind of like, feels all safe and secure. And then God sends a what to like get his attention. Not a whale, not a whale. They answered well in the last service. They all messed it up. I'm just trying to set y'all up for success. God sent a storm, right? He sent a storm which is what happens sometimes when we run from God. We get in the middle of a storm. And storms sometimes cause us to lose hope. Watch what Jonah says. The storm got so bad, Jonah said this. Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. This is suicide. Jonah's committing suicide. He's attempting to commit suicide. And he's saying the same thing that crosses so many people's minds when this happens. It's all my fault. The world would be way better if I weren't here. The depression got to the place where it overwhelmed him to the fact he wanted to take his own life. 
But God had different plans. When he got to the lowest place, just like Elijah, when he got to the lowest place, and they threw him overboard. The Bible says in Jonah 1.17, Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Probably the mo- not the most ideal circumstance or situation. Right? Which is symbolic to us, the same thing with Elijah, same thing with Jonah. I'm not going to lie to you today. If you're dealing with depression or even suicidal thoughts, I'm not going to tell you, pray and it'll go away. It's going to take a process. With Elijah, it took a process. With Jonah, it took a process. With me, it took a process. With you, it's going to take a process. But being willing to step into that process is essential if we're going to make progress in our relationship with God and our relationship with others. It's just, and the way you step into that process is saying, hey, I'm not okay I'm overwhelmed. Maybe, maybe you're overwhelmed. Maybe you're so overwhelmed you're to the point of actually considering taking your life. I just, let me stop right here. Somebody's watching today or somebody's in this room and you're thinking about this. I'm telling you there's hope. And some of you are like, I wish God would just show up and give me a message like he gave Elijah. Why, why do you think you're listening to this message? Why are you here today? For somebody, this is like the first time you came to church, the first time you watched online in two, three, four weeks, and this just happens to be the week we're talking about it. You call it coincidence. I call it providence. Because this, this is what's great. This is what's great about Jonah. In Jonah chapter 2, he got real honest with God. In Jonah chapter 3, then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. He got a second chance. Don't you just love that? Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I've given you. This time Jonah obeyed. (laughs) You don't say. This time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. And you know what happened? He preached to the city and the entire city repented. Jonah got a second chance. God met Elijah at his lowest point. God met Jonah at his lowest point. And God will meet us no matter if you feel like you're at your lowest, start looking around. Now, this is this is the thing though, and this is where I really want to spend just a few minutes diving in. This is the thing that I've heard for years. In fact, I was talking about somebody about it between the services. Like, if you're a Christian, then you should just always be happy. You ever met those people? If you're a Christian, you should just be happy. So and and, and and then, so you, you turn into fake happy. Oh, how are you doing? It's so good to see you. Bless the Lord. Yes, Jesus loves you. Can't stand her. Like, yeah, that's good. I love, man, I love Jesus. I love me some Jesus. I love that T-shirt. Said, I, love, I love Jesus too. In fact, I love him more than you because my Jesus is bigger than your Jesus. It's so good to see you. You know what? People that are always happy aren't necessarily on Christ. They might be on crack. Trust me. I live downtown Anderson. I see happy people all the time. What the heck? They ain't in church, but they all call me pastor. So I love it. Like, I love my people, right? But if you're, if you're a Christian, if you love Jesus, then you're never going to get overwhelmed. You're never going to feel any pressure. And if you do, you just need more Jesus in your life. You just need more Jesus. You ever heard that? Well, here's, here's the thing. Matthew who was one of Jesus' closest followers, 
wrote this account about the night that Jesus was arrested, right before he was crucified, right before he was murdered, executed. Right before that happened, Matthew tells us this in Matthew chapter 26, verse 36 to 38. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him and began to be sorrowful and troubled. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he took three, three guys with him. So if when we're hurting, if all we need is Jesus, then why wasn't Jesus enough for Jesus? Jesus modeled for us. We can't make it through this on our own. Yes, we need him, but we also need other people. And if the son of God didn't try to do it by himself, why in the world would we think we could pull it off? I'm telling you, if it wasn't for other people, I could not have stepped out of hurt into healing. It's a process I'm still going through till this day. But you, it, and there are people, listen, I want, if, there's no, if there's nowhere else on the planet, this is a safe place. This is a safe place to admit I'm hurting and I need some help. And watch what else he said. This, is, this goes in the face of, you know what, godly people never get overwhelmed. Now, I'm just going to put my cards on the table and say, I don't think anyone in the scriptures was more godly than Jesus. Call me crazy, but I'm just going to, that's what I think. Next verse. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Jesus got overwhelmed. See, this isn't popular preaching. But I want you to know, if you feel overwhelmed today, it's not because you're bad. It's because you're human. And Jesus understands what it's like to feel overwhelmed because in the scriptures, he said it was, he was overwhelmed. But he also knows what it's like to go from overwhelmed to overcome. Elijah went from overwhelmed to overcome. Jonah went from overwhelmed to overcome. I've gone from overwhelmed to overcome. There are people in this room that have been overwhelmed, and now you are walking and overcoming. There are people in this room that you are currently overwhelmed, and God wants to take you to the place where you are an overcomer. And it can happen. See, the thing about the whole Jesus thing is he was overwhelmed because he was about to crucify. And they showed up and they arrested him. They took him, and I mean, they, they, they murdered him. Matthew tells us in Matthew 27, Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a long sheet of clean linen cloth. He placed it in his own new tomb, which had been carved out of the rock. Then he rolled a great stone across the entrance and left. Now, personally, I have my favorite place to go in the world, and I have my least favorite place to go in the world. My least favorite place to go in the world is a graveyard. There, 
I've got, I had a buddy that used to say, I love to walk through graveyards because it reminds me of my mortality. I'm like, watch the news. It will remind you of your mortality, bro. I would walk it. No, I don't like to go into graveyards because I've seen too many movies and like hands pop up. Like what if they buried somebody that's not dead? And they're like, what's up? And like, I'm first I'm going to say it, then I'm going to do it, then I'm going to run out of the graveyard. Like I, I'm, I, am, like, I don't like graveyards. When my mom died, my dad always wanted to go visit the grave at night. And I'd be like, come on, bro, we need to be coming at like lunchtime because no, none of the goblins and stuff are hanging out at lunchtime. I don't like graveyards at all. Never have, never will. There's nothing about a graveyard that I like, which is, which is where they put Jesus. They put him in a grave. They put him in a graveyard. And nobody, Nobody was expecting the resurrection to take place. Nobody was standing outside of the tomb on resurrection morning counting backwards from 10. 10, 9, cue the smoke, 8, let's get the music, 7, fog, 6, choir. Like none, none, none of that was happening. In fact, the Bible says in Matthew 28 verse 1, early on Sunday morning, as the new day, I love that, was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary how would you love to be her? What's your name? I'm the other Mary. Oh, nice to meet you. At least she's in the story. Mary Magdalene, the other Mary, went out to visit the tomb. And when they got there, they were expecting to find a body because they were in a graveyard. But when they got there, the stone was rolled away. And the angel said, you know what? He's not here. He's risen. And the graveyard, a place of death, became a place of life. A place of mourning became a place of dancing. A place of ashes became a place of beauty. So while my least favorite place in the world to go is a graveyard, my favorite place to go in the world is number one, there's not even a close number two, is the garden tomb. This is in Israel. I've been here 16 times. And every time it gets me. Every time I just get completely overwhelmed in a great way. Because he's, he's alive. Like he's, he's alive. And, and, and this is why it matters so much. It was a graveyard. Now it's a garden. And it's just a reminder that Jesus really can turn graves into gardens. So if you feel like today you are a spiritual graveyard, the good news is there's hope for you because Jesus turns graves into gardens. In fact, in the Psalms, David said, you have turned my mourning into joyful dancing. You have taken away my clothes of mourning and clothed me with joy. And if he did it for Elijah, and if he did it for Jonah, and if he did it for David, and if he did it for Jesus, and he did it for me, he can do it for you. There is no one in this room today or no one watching online that's without hope. There's no one that's without hope. He said in Isaiah 61, to all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, 
festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. If you're here today and you're going through pressure and, you're, and you feel overwhelmed, I understand. I understand. But I also know that we have a God who is faithful, that we have a God that has not given up on you, that we have a God that, that wants the best for you, that we have a God that still has a plan for your life. He still has hope for your life. He still has a future for your life. And you can't give up on God because God has not given up on you. He still has a plan for your life that's greater than you could ever imagine. So would you stand with me Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I want to pray for every single person in this room that, God, you would fill us with hope, you would fill us with peace, you would fill us with joy, you would fill us with the knowledge that you are right here with us.